and welcome back to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. Coming up on episode 73, we take an exclusive behind-the-scenes tour of Hewlett-Packard Enterprises Technology Renewal Centre, a facility helping to tackle e-waste by refurbishing and recycling your retired business tech. So again, people generally come to us because they want to extend the lifetime, so again, it's a good sustainability message. You know, a simple memory upgrade might be all that's required rather than having to go back to buy some new equipment, so it's a great message that we do. So hello and welcome back to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast, hosted this time by Edie's reporter, Sarah George. That's me. Um, this is usually the bit in the podcast where I'd introduce at least one other member of Edie's four-strong editorial team. So that's content editor Matt Mace, insight editor James Everson, or content director Luke Nichols. But today I'm here all by myself in our makeshift podcast studio at the Edie offices in East Grinstead, West Sussex, where... For the first time in what feels like forever, it's not raining. We've got nice blue skies outside today. The boys are all AWOL, and at this point I'm not sure whether it's because they're busy planning for our Sustainability Leaders Forum, which is our event in February next year, or just because there's a lot of really good football scheduled in the Premier League um, and a lot of other good games scheduled in the Rugby World Cup this weekend. To be fair on them, it's been a pretty bumper week here for sustainability news, particularly in policy. So the government came back after prorogation. I'm sure we all saw the Queen's speech and had our opinions on what she was wearing and whether a fanfare was really needed and whether she actually said anything during the speech. But from a green policy point of view, the return to Parliament saw DEFRA finally publishing the Environment Bill, which we've been waiting for for a long time. Pretty much as soon as we were done reading that policy document, the new Brexit deal landed in the inbox. And as if that wasn't enough in green policy, the Committee on Climate Change then confirmed that it will publish its sixth carbon budget advice, and Andrea Leadsom published some of the first short-term measures to reaching net zero in the transport and built environment sectors. With all that in mind, I'm willing to excuse the boys, to be honest, um, and all of these stories are now up on our website. If you're an average reader of the site, first of all, thank you very much, sincerely. Um, And secondly, you might have noticed that I finally got around to writing another in-depth feature on the circular economy, one of my favourite things to write about a few weeks back. This feature was about e-waste, which is the fastest growing domestic waste stream in the world. I didn't know this fact about e-waste, and I know a lot of people will be in the same boat, uh, possibly because there's been so much attention around plastics over the past two years and fashion on top of that in the past year. Obviously, both of these topics are huge issues in their own right and deserve that attention. But I think it's for us taking a minute to put the e-waste problem into perspective. Back in 2016, the United Nations University found that more than 44 million metric tonnes of e-waste were generated globally. um, And that was an increase of 8% on the amount of e-waste they recorded in 2014. By the time we reach Christmas this year, we're expected to have generated more than 50 million metric tonnes, another big increase. And every year, only around 20% of that e-waste is recycled. As much as 70% in comparison is unaccounted for, which probably means one of two things. That it's sitting in our drawers, desks and bins and not going anywhere. Or that it's been dumped in nature, polluting land, water and ultimately our food supply chains, which is pretty horrifying stuff. 
So when I was invited by HPE to visit one of the facilities they were operating to try and tackle this problem, I jumped at the chance. Um, Not just because it's in the Scottish countryside and that we were promised whisky afterwards, but because this was a really rare opportunity to take a look behind the scenes at what's being done to tackle this huge problem. This special edition of the ED podcast was recording during a tour of that facility, which is in Erskine, a small town to the west of Glasgow. To put you in the picture, this is quite a big facility. It's 100,000 square feet inside. It's pretty retro from the outside. You come up the road and it's curved on the outside. You bell in and it's kind of like the TARDIS. It's bigger on the inside. And it's the place where all HP hardware from business customers in the Europe, Middle East and Africa region is meant to come back at the end of its contract. Every week, thousands of pieces of tech come back into the centre and they estimate that 90% of them are refurbished, 9.5% of them are recycled and 0.5% of them are wasted. And that's by weight. I was keen to get a look at not only how the business manages to achieve these rates, but what the benefit is both for HPE and its clients. Because something I always hear as a key barrier to circular economy business models is the financial models and the business case. So without further ado, I want to imagine that you're there with me on the tour. The first recording that we have is an introduction to the facility and its history from its operations manager, Jackie Rafferty, and its process and engineering manager, David Connell. So my name is Jackie Rafferty. I'm the operations manager for financial services. I'm leading the organisation in Erskine for the last eight and a half years. I started on this site over 32 years ago. So I've been here in considerable length of time enjoyed my, my service, but more so in financial services. Uh, introduce my learned colleague here. Hi, I'm David Connell, I'm Jackie's process and engineering manager, similar, similar tenure with the company in about 42 years. So he comes along for the difficult questions, so that's <laughs> point him to that guy. Okay, so just a quick history lesson in terms of the site, because we've certainly got a bit of heritage here, and we've certainly brought an awful lot of experience into certainly financial services. So this site opened in December of 1987 as a compact facility and produced very uh, 286 technology PCs and we did that very well right through the 90s. Uh, I was in charge of commercial desktops for this whole area and we were doing between 8 and 10,000 PCs every 12 hours over that time period. So we're probably one of the most efficient PC manufacturers in the world per square foot at that time and then Dell took over really the PC market. Then. HP decided to buy Compaq about 17 years ago, December, May of 2002, and the first decision, sadly for us, was to outsource really manufacturing. So kind of we lost that kind of heritage here. So PC manufacturing moved about 15 years ago, and data center equipment left about nine years ago. But great timing really when Jim and the GLT decided to move financial services from a, a site in Nijmegen in Holland into Erskine purely because uh, I think it's a beautiful site and also the experience we had here. Uh, and certainly manufacturing it died a death at that point and there was probably about 500 people getting made redundant at the time looking uh, for new challenges. So certainly great time for, for us. Uh, so I kind of sat for a month when I started in May of 2011, kind of putting my team sheet together. So really what I kind of clubbed together, the best of the best. So guys that had worked in manufacturing for a very, very long time in terms of technical resource, like David, management, process control, operators uh, and line management as well. So we really picked about 50 of the best people and really we had the ground running. 
I think Mr. O'Grady gave us, he said it'll take us about six months to, to a year to get up and running, but I think we're up and running after about four or five weeks. So purely because of the training and the exposure we had to the manufacturing environment. And we're really very comfortable in terms of products because most of the products we see is products that was produced actually on site. So again, very, very experienced in terms of processing. Now we're heading downstairs to the area where all of the magic happens, that's the processes. This is a really huge flat area, it's warehouse-like, so on one side on the wall you've got receiving doors where the lorries can come in, and as you go across there's stacks of hardware everywhere and a lot of conveyor belts, and also, as we're about to find out, a lot of security. The gym says we're on a globally consistent process. We currently have 150,000 square foot operation, secure operation. So it's really all about weird defences. So obviously you couldn't get into the facility today unless you had an access control badge. And you certainly can't get into the area until I've put you on the access list. So I control who goes in and who goes out. So only operational staff, group force security who man their dock doors. So additional layer of defence. And also maintenance folk as well for in doing some, some online maintenance in there. Process material to do it in a controlled fashion. Okay, so hopefully after today you will see the logical, defined, clear process that we're going to show you. Uh, and we believe uh, we're quite efficient in what we do. Uh, we certainly have KPIs in terms of how we process the material, how quickly we need to process the material and work with the customer to return value on his assets as quickly as we can. And also obviously to sanitise that data. That's the biggest really focus when we get the material in. We sanitise and kill the data as quickly as we can and as efficiently as we can. So that's hence the, the perimeter fence. So there's a 2.2 metre fence around the area. Uh, there's three entrance points, which I said I control. So again, it's layered defences. So we trust everybody in the building, but really want to control that to make sure no one can walk in and never lift a laptop before we have sanitised it. We also have 26 CCTV cameras monitoring the area, 7 by 24 as well. Okay, so just about to get into to the controlled area. So as I said, there's the entrance points which I control and it's on a, on a defensive security approved Lanell based system. So it's a swiping system during normal working hours and out, outside normal working hours. There's a four digit pin required as well. So before seven and after 5 p.m. you need a four digit pin to access the area. Once we clear security, our first port of call is the laydown area where hardware is stacked and checked when it comes in. Here, Jackie talks us through how they now journey through the facility. So this is uh, the laydown area for the workplace assets. So you can see in the middle ground here, so this is, there's monitors within these D-containers. There's about 15 monitors in every box, there'll be 45 stacking density in that pallet location. We have 72 desktops on the pallet, and we also have 80 laptops in these boxes here, so there's 10 laptops in every box. So really that material in the middle is material that has been processed, has been sanitised, has been deemed good to be sold in the market, okay? And on the flip side here is customer orders. So lay down for sale, we sell, send the files to the product managers who then sell in a bid round process, and more or less the highest bidder wins. We pick the orders, we, pack, we final pack them, and then the customer comes and collects. In terms of workplace, it's all about customer collection through the wholesale business. 90% of what we do in this operation is through wholesale selling, but there's also other uh, size of our business that we're trying to focus on and grow. Uh, obviously Ray and, and Jim is, is, is very interested in that, certified pre-owned, short-term rental as well. 
Two return flows, which is we're leasing portfolios, currently got globally about $13 billion worth of IT on lease. Uh, so that'll keep us busy in terms of return flow and leasing assets. Uh, that's always backed up by asset upcycling services where we, we work with non-leasing customers to really monetize their, their IT. If there's any redundant IT, we'll bring it back here, we'll sanitize it, we'll test it, and we'll sell it into the market and obviously we'll give a revenue split on that to the customer. Okay, so that's two sides of a return flow, leasing returns and asset upcycling. Okay, and the outbound is really wholesale, pre-owned through certified pre-owned where we do custom configurations and we'll show that area as we get around. Short-term rental is very similar to that, so hopefully we're looking for some high-end configurations for customers to match customers' requirements. So in terms of capacity, we've not really got a capacity to bonus because we work one shift pattern. We start at eight and we finish at four and we can spike with overtime, really. Uh, so we're managing on average 35,000 workplace assets every single month. In terms of data center assets, we're producing about 60,000 assets every single month. So that's individual assets from about 18,000 parents. So you can understand the parent is the server and the, there's probably about 12 assets produced from that server. So that's how we can do 60,000 individual components from 18,000 parents. Just an example of a, a monitor pick just now. The guys have got a 800 pick from a customer. Uh, so they go through, and it's actually by asset, so they need to get into the box and scan the serial number of every single asset. Okay. And the guys will restack and pack and ready to go. So flexibility is a great thing in terms of our staff. Our staff are very, very experienced. On average, we have 18 years site, he site history per person. Uh, we're really starting to engage with some of the younger folk just now because we're all getting older like myself, and maybe not getting that much longer to go. Uh, so we're kind of putting some young blood in, you'll see some of the young guns in the, in the process, uh, just to pick up a lot of the experience. We head over to the area where the first set of processes happens. David talks us through how HPE makes sure that what it gets back is what it leased out, and that nothing is lost or inefficiently processed as it begins the refurb journey. We really like to take people through the process quite logically. An inbound process is a bit different from any other manufacturing. Generally, any other manufacturer will receive product and they'll stock it and they'll sell it straight away. But when we're receiving essentially uh, our assets, then there's a fair amount of processing that needs to happen before we can we can put them through to finished goods. So this really is the start of the process. This is all where we do the dot receiving. Dot receiving is really where we uh, we establish the first uh, chain of custody point. So. Depending on where the assets come from, depending which um, source is coming from, we create an order in the system and basically that order describes the quantity, collection point, you know, all that kind of good stuff around uh, the actual collection. So from a leasing point of view, we know an awful lot of detail about what's coming back for us. For asset upcycling, a lot of the times it can be quite vague because uh, in general, clients, uh, clients going to the same sort of gas of what the hardware estate is by the time they sell it. Essentially we receive the consignment at the back door and then we check it against the terms of that order and we try and identify any discrepancies straight away. Right from the dock doors we start to create inventory so that, we, so that we have an immediate view of what the customer order is and as we go through the process we're continually refining what that view of that inventory is. So for example, if a consignment contained eight pallets worth of material, we would create inventory that started off with eight G pallets so that we knew a particular customer order had been received 
every single palette that you see has also got a unique palette identifier at this point, so we can, we can start to track things as it moves across the manufacturing floor. The things that the gentlemen are doing behind you here is they're doing what we call the detrash operation. So essentially they're moving all the original um, packaging material from the, from the consignment and they're also removing anything of no or low economic value and we're going to recycle that straight away. That can be things like old cables or old keyboards and that type of things and this is really what you see being placed in these containers in front of you. They're also at this point trying to essentially put light for light, so for example if the laptops are being dispersed within the, diff the, the different eight pallets, we'll try and group all that together. And that's just to really make it as efficient as we start the process. But this pallet is kind of closest to is here with 30 uh, notebooks on it. So they'll do an inventory transaction essentially to correct that 1G pallet into 30G notebooks. We, we don't have the time at this part in the process to sit and scan all the part numbers and the serial numbers. So we're just really trying to do high level refinement of what it is we've actually received. And we can use some of this information later on in the process when we start to create the real inventory against these assets to make sure we've got checks and balances against what we said we received and what we actually did put into finished goods inventory. Other things that we're doing in this part of the process is we're trying to essentially run a new surprise policy for the, for the customer. If something's damaged, there's a, there's a 12 point plan every single uh, pallet gets judged against whether it's you know, incorrectly packaged or overhanging the package or damaged. So if there's any sort of damage on the, the, the consignment at this point at all, We'll take it off and we'll investigate that. Sometimes it ends up in insurance claims, sometimes it doesn't. Other things that we do is try and keep the client from doing uh, sort of simple mistakes. So sometimes leasing clients have returned their notebooks, for example, but they forget to return the power bricks. So again, we do a kind of rudimentary count of these small gotchas that we know that clients fall into and we contact the client as quickly as possible so they've got an opportunity to correct it before the material gets pulled too far into the process. So this really is the receiving process here. So. We receive the consignment, we check it against the paperwork, we start to detrash it, consolidate it, we start to refine the inventory view of it, and then we prepare it for lay down for the next stage in the operation. We walk a few feet to the left where teams of staff are hard at work with the data side of the process. They're creating data banks about the items which come back and, most importantly, making sure that they're clean of data so that they can be resold. The first stage we talked about dot receiving, it's all about getting the consignment in and sort of just checking it for correctness. Doing that inventory refinement from generic palette into generic, something a little bit more, uh, more descriptive of what it is, whether that's G notebook, G desktop, G server. This is really the first part of the process where we actually create a new system record against each of the piece of hardware. So what John's doing here at the moment is he's bringing the monitor up. He scans the unique identifier on the, on the pallet here, which essentially links the assets that he's going to create back to the customer order. Again, this is how we maintain chain of custody throughout the process. So you scan the serial number. If it came from a leasing order, it would pull all the rest of the information in from the leasing book, such as part number, what we're going to do with it, are we going to sell it, are we going to recycle it, are we going to reuse it? So there's a lot of different, uh, uh, there's also different option points that customers can tell us to do with their assets once it comes back here. If it's an asset upcycling piece of equipment, then it also needs to scan the manufacturing serial number. We always need the two things to make the inventory unique, uh, simply because serial numbers are never guaranteed to be unique within, even within an HPE product. Never mind uh, when you've been walking through, you've probably been seeing HP, HPE equipment, Dell, IBM, Symantec's, there's everything. Uh, we, we do all, all of the major third-party um, providers of equipment as well, simply because even when we're leasing, we need to lease uh, 
equipment other than HPE and HPI equipment as well. So we, we get everything in here. So John creates the assets, so some basic checks. I send that we have got a method of essentially we've got some security protocols running on some of the high value, highly mobile equipment, such as notebooks, for example. And again, all the various major stages in the process have always got segregation of duties. The last thing John does is really press, tell the system he's done with that license plate. It's one of the things that Jackie's held accountable for is cycle time. So again, if you look at a typical lease, we need to be able to shut down the lease within 30 days. If you look at asset upcycling, generally we've got to have shut those down and sold them within 60 days. The other things that we're doing here is really physical sanitization. So we need to make the essentially the asset anonymous to its previous owner before we can resell it, of course. So taking off things like uh, maybe be a, a company's uh, asset label that's on it, or it might be something like good old um, electrical safety stickers on it as well. If we can't actually take the, if we can't actually make it anonymous, then we will actually recycle the, the item. Doesn't really happen too much now. You know, maybe five or six years ago, there was there was a little uh, market uh, push to laser etching, chemical etching, and these kind of things. Really, all the people were doing was destroying the residual value of their product. So this is really where all our workplace assets come down. So things like notebooks, desktops, workstations, media tabs would come down here. Uh, really, we've invested quite heavily in this this piece of infrastructure. And it's all about the efficient moving and handling of the material. We'll lift it once on this pre-loading carousel and when uh, Graham is ready to call down some more equipment, he simply presses a button and the whole machinery will rotate in uh, a number of trays here for him to start to, to, to bring into this workplace and, and, and start to work on them. There's three roller conveyor systems in the middle. The two outer ones deliver work into the work cells. Uh, the middle one recovers work out of the work cell once it's complete. So really what happens is, in this particular case, Graham offers up the asset, he powers it up, he plugs in a network cable and it'll network request an image over our, our LAN infrastructure. Essentially, it's a, it's a standard offering from a company called Glanco, who, who you might be aware, well aware that these guys are the, the brand market leaders in, in sanitization software. Uh, and essentially that, that image boots up and reads the serial number of the system and then goes and asks our ERP system for a job specification. That job specification will then tell the Azure software what we want it to do with this particular unit. Uh, if we're looking at the, our leasing customers, the default drive white method is a, is a one-pass drive white method. If we look at the upcycling marketplace, the, the marketplace in general is set, settled on a three-pass overwrite method. Uh, and then again, there's some speciality drive white methods in there for some more security conscious clients. So whether you're UK public sector or US public sector, then you would choose different drive white methods. So the other thing that the software is doing at this point is it's trying to gleam as much electronic information out of the system as possible and it's saving all those off into what we call the asset attribute field. Uh, and that's things like CPU type, processor speed, memory, disk, disk manufacturer, disk serial number. It's sucking all of that information out. The last thing that Graham would be required to do is to enter into the subjectional things. So for example, if I look at that notebook, are the, are the keyboard, is the keyboard okay? Is there any damage to the screen? Is there any, is the, the casing being compromised? So that's the last piece of the information that gets collected here. Once the drive white method is completed, then Graham can send the record back to our, uh, our ERP system. So there's really the first point that we say that drive white method is never selected manually, so Graham can't make a mistake against the contractual obligations, because again, there can be a lot of different clients, uh, materials and flow at any one time. And the second one is it can't move from this processing status into finished goods inventory until we've completed the drive white method itself. In terms of the number of attributes that we collect against the equipment, for something like a notebook, it's about 57 different pieces of information we collect. 
for the desktop it's around 50 obviously you've got the screen the keyboard is what's generating the difference but we really use the information for three different ways if it's a leasing asset then we use the detail of that information essentially to make sure that what we lease is what we get back so we use the information to do a reconciliation against the leasing for asset upcycling it's very very important uh, for one thing all of our asset upcycling clients are long-standing long clients of ours and we've, built, we've worked hard at building a trust. And the way that you establish trust is through transparency. The other thing it helps us with is, is client understanding of how we achieve the value in the marketplace. So for example, the salesman might well have said 100 euros we'll be able to get for this particular model of your notebook. Sometimes we get more, sometimes we get less, but when we get less, it's very, very important to articulate to the client why that is. And it might well be there's been some devaluation because there's significant signs of wear and tear or something is faulty on the, on, the, on the system itself. The third way that we use that information is when we come to sell it out. Again, we don't like to go to the marketplace with a lot of bid round orders and say, we've got grade A, we've got grade B, we've got grade C type stock. We find that quite confusing at times. So we show our potential buyers the, the attribute field and they can actually price on individual assets. We have a bit of a distraction now because we've spotted something really big and pretty shiny. It's a huge room containing a 3D printer. I've only ever seen them on the internet and they don't look this big in videos, but this thing is the size of a small car. Jackie explains how the facility is working to create a circular economy for what is one of the newest innovations in tech and definitely one of the newest lines in HP's products. Okay, so financial services, EMEA and Ando and North America have the contract to refurbish 3D print. So this is our first printer we've had back. It's actually in very good condition, so we're actually producing some, some material. Very, very lucrative, lucrative in terms of the assets because the residuals we're hoping is going to be very high. We're talking between three and four hundred k per item, and we're hoping there's a residual maybe two fifty. We currently have about five sitting in Germany just now, and they'll be working their way back to. It's really complicated to process. Dave's engineering team went out to Barcelona Labs to get trained up from from HP. Uh, so, and I say this is our first printer we've refurbed, and we're really ready to go on this one. So, we'll hopefully, we'll be selling out over the next the next month or so. But great addition to our portfolio. It really was good to, to kind of get something different to work on. Our final stop is the refurb zone where staff are tinkering away to give new lease of life to everything from landline phones, notebook computers to data centre assets. Jackie talks us through how this works, why clients want refurbishment and finally what will happen to these items later. Something surprising he also tells us is that the oldest bit of gear sitting in the warehouse right now is 40 years of age. This is an area really we only want to focus on and really explain as much detail as we can because we spoke about refurb and this is where we really reconfigure and work with the customer to produce a second generation solution. So save the customer going to Czech Republic and buying a, a Gen 10 server. Come here because we've got a Gen 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Okay. Dave. So again, everything we've been doing up until this point is all about uh, inventory on the inbound. This really is one of the, the three route to markets that we have. The first route to market is really wholesale, pick, pack and ship, and straight out of the warehouse goes out. It doesn't really come near this area. The two technical processes that we have is certified pre-owned and short-term rental. So again, short-term rental is generally any opportunities we have inside 12 months that really wouldn't qualify for lease, so those go through a short-term rental programme. But this area is really dealing with uh, certified pre-owned. So what do we mean by that? Jackie says certified pre-owned is where we're, where we're doing configurations, bespoke configurations for, for an end client. Now again, if anyone was actually going to look at 
one of the quick specs here for a, for a, for a 380 or a 360, you see there's a, there's a dizzying array of choices in there, you know, around CPUs, memory, disks and option cards. So why people come to us is really again for expertise, because financial services sits within HPE's family, we've got access to all of the original technical configuration manuals, not just for the current generations, but or even for minus, minus three generations ago, we've actually got access to all that documentation going right back through 15 to 20 years. So for example, 18 months ago, our sister plant, someone asked how do we compare against um, plant in America, well we're, we're always partnering in opportunities and there was a government client in America that acquired some old Alpha Service GS1280s and we actually brought out some of these just to show you what they look like today. So we actually had all of the ex-manufacturing stock, so even though it's a 15 year old product, the customer actually get brand new equipment. There's always opportunities in the certified payload market. If you look at some of the industry standard things, you know, why did he come to us? Well again, Jackie touched on some, some of it. You know, people are paying a premium in general for HP Enterprise equipment because of the engineering prowess, the software, its uh, serviceability, its usability features. And we need to make sure that the equipment that they're paying for is authentic, genuine equipment. Now in terms of our exposure, it's very low. For our leasing clients, you know, the providence is quite, quite clearly there. We sold them it, we got it back, so there's very, very little risk there. In terms of our asset upcycling clients, again, very low risk. We're dealing with, we're dealing with vetted clients who've got long-standing relationships. Um, the exposure is really when you have to get into the market to buy some of the equipment that you may or may not have. You know, again, for any given model type, there might be 16 different CPU choices there. Now, if the client wants one of the CPUs that we don't have to have, We'll go into the market and buy it, same for this. And that's really where we see some of the counterfeit product. Other things that we offer is really pre-sale support. People will come along to you and they'll say, I want one off, and we've got to turn that into global part numbers, which we'll do. They need some technical help, sort of understanding and you know specifications. They need to reach a certain core count because they're running sort of uh, VMware type applications, and my uh, staff will actually help them with that as well. So again, people generally come to us because they want to extend the lifetime. So again, it's a good sustainability message. You know, a simple memory upgrade might be all that's required rather than having to go back to buy some new equipment. So it's a great message that we do. The guys in here are a very small group of people. There's only eight people to support that whole uh, portfolio of business. And even if you look about you today, you see a whole different gambit. You know, we've got some three-part equipment. This is some drives that we're actually doing for our service organization. So that's three-part drives. That's quite an old platform there. Right over to where the gentleman at the back standing, he's standing against some 380 Gen 9, Gen 10 product as well. So we need to ship that to a client this morning. So it really is quite an interesting place to work. The final thing I would share about you is um, when you look at us, you hear Jackie say, I'm a 32 year old veteran. Sometimes it feels as if we're 32 year old veterans. And you look about, and maybe the age demographic isn't quite what it used to be. So if you look at some of the young guns um, that were trained up, what we did is we, we gave some people, some promising people uh, that were on the line the opportunity to go to university to study for the qualifications so that they could become fully qualified technicians. It's not, just, it's not just where we are at the moment, we're always keeping an eye on the future and how we can actually improve not only ourselves, but obviously. Uh, our services that we're offering to clients as well. At this point, we gave Jackie and David a bit of a break and were all sent for lunch. I didn't record that bit and I'm terribly sorry, but you'll just have to imagine that you're having some Scottish tablet and some shortbread biscuits. And I hope you can forgive me for missing that crucial bit of information because not to toot my own horn here, but I think the tour was very comprehensive overview 
of how this facility works and it's a pretty rare glimpse into something we don't see very often. So when your company decides that, you know, we want a new phone system, we want more modern laptops, we usually just clean our files off them, stack them up and don't think about it much further. But this is a great look at what might be happening to them after that. As I mentioned before, my feature with more info on HPE's Erskine facility and some other business-led schemes to tackle e-waste is now live on ED. You can find it under the In-Depth tab by clicking Features. But if you're here for audio more than e-waste, you'll be pleased to know that the next episode of the Sustainable Business Podcast will, at long last, see the return of The Green Room, our exclusive interview hub for sustainability leaders. Matt will be hosting that one, but he's told me strictly that the identity of our guest is to be kept top secret. What I can tell you about our guest is that she's been working in corporate sustainability for the best part of 18 years, and that she's previously worked with the likes of Banky Moon. So I'm expecting some really high level insight here, and I hope you are too. Aside from that, we've got a lot of other exciting content planned for the next month or so. So keep your eyes peeled for plenty of interviews, features, blogs, podcasts and videos, which you might say is just what we do day to day, but it's going to be for a big campaign around the theme of net zero. And this is something I really wish I could tell you more about at this point because we've all been squirrelling away and working really hard on this project. But for now, I'm afraid I have to keep you all in suspense, especially as I think we are out of time. So it's time to say goodbye from me and take care. Goodbye. Goodbye.